when we pray for our enemies, it's really hard to hate them. As I was wrestling with this hatred and this pain for Steve, saying, God, I don't want to hate him, but I genuinely desire literal burning coals upon his head. I don't want to hate him, but there's nothing in me that wants good as I wrestled with this and I realized that if I want grace for myself, I have to believe in grace for him. I thought about the image of standing one day before God, the judge of the universe, right beside him and not hating him at all and not remembering the hurt and the pain he caused. But I thought about standing there beside him and looking to Jesus, the the founder of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, the one who loves perfectly and being able to perfectly love him. I thought truly how sweet the sound that one day I could actually, truly and deeply love my enemies. That's the kind of God I believe in, the kind of God I hope for. And the kind of God that I have to daily come before and say, I cannot do this, but you can. Help me today to love my enemies. And imagine if we left this place with this as our goal. God, let me pray for those who persecute me, for those who I can't stand. Let me serve those who only bring harm and pain. Imagine how much different the people of this world would think of the church that's who we were, that's how we loved, that's how we lived. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. Today's an exciting day for many reasons. One of them is we have a lot of guests here. For those of you joining us from Paradox, thanks for being here today. Uh, If you don't know what Paradox is, it's a skate park in uh, Oak Ridge. And if I get something wrong, forgive me. I'm only going off what I've been told. They do a lot of really cool stuff with a lot of youth and said, hey, let's come bring some youth and join you today. So thank you guys for being here. I'm glad you're here. I know we also have a bunch of other people here for the first time, including some on live stream. So For those of you who are here for the first time, my name is Adam, and I'm the pastor here at The Point. And I really appreciate that you're here because none of my job matters if it's not for you. And I love the people who've been here a hundred times, too. You guys are great. But everything we do as a church is to connect the disconnected. Those who, for whatever reason, have either drifted away from God or from the community of His church. And our goal, our hope, is to help you experience His love. Uh, not only through us and through the words that I speak and through the things that we sing, the things we do, but to experience His love in us. We are in the middle of this series called Hard Love, about ways that God has called us to love people that sometimes is really difficult. 
And I have to confess to you, I don't always love people. I know as a pastor, it's my job, I'm supposed to. But as a person, I sometimes actually really hate people. A couple years back, about five years ago now almost, my grandpa passed away. And I was given the honor and the difficult task of speaking at his funeral. And through a lot of tears, I managed to get through. And I spoke at his funeral, and I I shared about the promise of forgiveness and the hope of salvation and the promise that one day I would see him again. And later that day, my dad was really struggling. And I thought, well, of course, his dad just died. Of course he's struggling. And I said, Dad, what's, what's going on? My dad was struggling for a reason completely unlike me. You see, my dad had a good friend whom I'm going to call Steve. And this good friend of my dad's, uh, they had been buddies since early in college. For most of my dad's adult life, they'd been really close. And not just like really close, like best man in the wedding kind of close, right? And in recent years leading up to my grandpa's death, my, my dad and this guy had a falling out. See, this guy was dealing with a lot of unchecked mental health. He was refusing to get help for some of his struggles. And that unchecked mental health without a community of support completely destroyed his marriage and his career and left his life in a midlife crisis where things were kind of just a mess. And as most hurt people do, he began to lash out at my dad. And he began to say some really hurtful things to my mom that my dad was not okay with. And when he, my dad confronted this man, it tore their relationship apart. And when, when I asked my dad that day, Dad, how you doing? What's going on? He wasn't distraught by his dad's death. It was years in the making. He was distraught because there at the funeral, he noticed out of the corner of his eye this man, Steve. He said, what was Steve doing there? See, they had been for a couple of years not on speaking terms. Remember, my dad had completely removed everything about this guy from his life because of the hurtfulness and the things he was doing. My, my dad had completely blocked him on every form of social media, had changed his phone number, had moved, had done everything he could. But this man found out about my grandpa's death. And I got a Facebook message the next day. I thought I had also blocked this man but apparently not. And the Facebook message was pages of him telling me how disappointed my grandpa would be, how I let my grandpa down in what I said, how I was not fit to be a pastor and should never serve God in any capacity because I was a terrible, horrible man because I stood beside my dad through this mess. I tell you what, I did not love in that moment. And so I did what any one of us probably would do. I wrote the nastiest response I could, and I sent it, and then I blocked him immediately. So he couldn't even respond to my nastiness. And then, about a week later, I went to work at a church where I was serving in youth ministry. And there at my desk, I had a letter from this man. And I knew that I could not open that letter up. I knew that if I opened that letter up, every bit of hate inside of me would explode. I knew that if I read that letter, I would want to find this man and strangle and kill him myself twice to make sure it was done right. 
So I handed the letter to a coworker and said, hey, I don't want to fill you in on the backstory. This guy's really unhealthy. Will you just tell me if I need to know anything from this letter? So he read the letter and he said, yeah, none of it really seemed important. And he threw it away. I don't know what was in it. But he said, it's probably not healthy for you to read. See, this man I hated to my core so deeply, I genuinely desired he would burn in hell. I wanted the most anguish and suffering, the most terrible imaginable things. I wanted everything horrible to happen to him. Have you ever hated somebody like that? But God really hit me right here with this reality that if I believe his grace is enough for me, I have to want it to be enough for this man too. I tell you, that is not a thing I say lightly. Because even today, five years later, just talking about him, and I get worked up with this emotion for the way that he hurt me and the things that he said and the stuff he did to my mom and my dad. And you know what? There's no justice here. Because there's nothing we can do to make it right. There's no way that we can fix what he has hurt. And there's no way that we can right the wrongs that he's done. And yet, if I believe God's love and grace is enough for me, I have to believe it's enough for him too. Some days I don't want to. Today, as we go into hard love, there is a reality that Jesus calls us to love our enemies, the people who hurt us more deeply and more personally than anybody else. The people that at the, the very foundation of who we are, we want justice against them. We must love them. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard that it's okay to hate people who are your enemies. In fact, in Psalms, in the Old Testament, uh, the psalmist often says, Lord, I have hated those whom you hate. Isn't this good? I have hated those who do the things that you don't approve of. Isn't this good? Look, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, who come against you with everything in them, who desire to destroy you, those who hate you to the core. Love them. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Jesus says, look, so that you may be sons of God, in order to be sons of God, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Sometimes I read Jesus' words and I don't really like him. In order to be a son or daughter of God, love your enemies like Steve. Because God, he makes it rain on those who are evil just the same as those who are good. 
Jesus uses a really natural principle to explain something supernatural we can't do on our own. He says, in the same way that it rains upon evil people, that good stuff happens to bad people, in the same way that God takes care of those who are evil. You should too. Sometimes I don't like the things Jesus says. He goes on, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? It's really easy to love people when you get something out of it. It's really easy to love people when there's a relational contract, right? If I love you and you love me, life will go well. But what if you get nothing from it? Can you still love them? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? If you only greet those that you like, if you're only friendly to those that you love, if you're only friendly to those who treat you well, are you any different than the rest of the world? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus paints this picture of the kind of love you and I are supposed to have. Unlike the world, where the world says if somebody wrongs you, don't worry about it, just turn and get your revenge. Where the world says when somebody wrongs you, you are owed something. Where the world says, look, it's okay to hate the person because they suck anyway, right? Jesus says, no, we are not to be like that. Be perfect like your heavenly Father is. See, for our heavenly Father loves us even when we don't. He loves us even when we don't love others. He loves us even when we don't love Him. He loves us even when we are enemies of God. It says in Romans chapter 5 this promise. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Look, while you and I were set apart as enemies who hated God, who at our core did injustice to Him and caused Him hurt and pain at the depth of who He is, while we were in that place, He would draw us near by the death of His Son. If we were enemies... How much more should we be brought to him now? Now that he has risen from the dead, how much more should we be with him if while we were enemies, he would give everything for us? A couple of weeks ago, as I was talking about this sermon with Emily and we were planning what should we talk about, what does the church need to hear, Emily pointed something out that I hadn't considered. Many of us don't think about our enemies like, I don't think about Steve on a regular basis. And not only that, I don't think about people that, like, hate me on a regular basis. Because the truth of the matter is, there are very few people that I genuinely hate and desire bad things for. I'm hoping that someday that's a, a, a nobody, right? Like, my goal is every day to, to love those that I want to hate. But there are still a few people I really, really, really don't like. And I'm working on it. But most of us don't have a lot of enemies, right? Like we're not living in an age where, you know, tomorrow somebody could come storming into your house and just like take you and your family hostage and throw you in prison. That's probably not going to happen. 
We don't really have a lot of enemies that are just like chomping at the bit to come and just like roll over this country and, and put us all in slavery. But because we don't have enemies that are super visible, sometimes I think what we do is we create enemies. We create people who are not actually against us. In our brains, and our hearts, we want people to be against us so that we have a reason to be against them. So you go through the Chick-fil-A line and it takes you five minutes instead of three. How terrible is that Chick-fil-A, right? So somebody says something mean because they're hurting themselves and it's not that they hate you. They're just hurting and don't know what to do with it. And your immediate response is, that person's the worst. Let me shun them. We create enemies from people who aren't actually our enemies. We begin to believe people don't like us because they think differently than us. They have a different opinion. We begin to act like enemies and we refuse to shake hands and we tear up speeches and we treat one another with total disrespect because they're our enemy. You ever done that? I'm guilty of it all the time. I want a reason to justify you are over there, and I'm over here. And I'm sitting on my high horse. Everything's right with me, but not with you. The problem is, if we want to create reason to push people away and say they are our enemy, we must remember that we too were once enemies. Enemies of God. And yet, while we were enemies, He gave Himself for us. Jesus calls us to love our enemies, but how do we love our enemies when it really hurts? How do we love those people who don't love us back? Later on in the book of Romans, Paul, he writes what is my favorite verse in all of Scripture. And I confess, the verse I'm the worst at following, okay? It says this in chapter 12, Let love be genuine. Like, think about that. We're not called to love our enemies with fake platitudes. Let me just act like I can put up with them. Let me just treat them nicely in the hopes that something bad happens to them later, right? No, we're called to be genuine in our love, to truly desire God's good blessings, even for guys like Steve. Can you do that? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Just a little caveat. Anybody in here have brothers or sisters? The truth of the matter is brothers don't always get along. Right? And that's okay. You can fight and squabble and not get along with your brothers because at the end of the day, that's still my brother. And I'll have his back no matter what. Love one another with brotherly affection. Do you do that? This is the one I really love and I really suck out. Outdo one another... I suck at, not out, sorry. Outdo one another in showing honor. Like, look, seek to do better than the other person in showing them honor, respect, love. What if every one of us did this? Not because we want to put on an image, not because we want people to think we're better than we are, but genuinely we desire to honor people who dishonored us. 
You say something really hateful online, let me bless you. You say something really hurtful to my face about who I am or about my family, let me love you. You take my stuff, you hurt my kids, you do these things, let me love you all the more. Could we do this? <coughs> goes on then in verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Those who come against you who are truly your enemies, bless them. I don't know how to bless Steve. I don't know how to bless him. But what I do know is how not to curse him. How not to hate him even when I really want to. What I do know is how to wish for the best even as I want nothing to do with him. Bless your enemies. It goes on a little further and says this. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I like that. So far as it depends on you, there will be people that you can love and love and love and you can outdo everybody in showing them honor and they want nothing to do with you and they continue to cause strife and pain and problems. That's not on you. So far as it's up to you, live at peace with them. Which means every single chance you get to say something loving or do something good, do it. And when you don't, and you curse them instead of blessing them, seek to make it right. Will you forgive me? I wronged you. I know you wronged me first, but that's not the point. I'm not going to bring that up right now. I'm just going to point out where I have sinned. Forgive me. So how do we go about loving our enemies? How do we actually live this out? What do we do that we can, as far as it's possible, as far as it depends on us, that we can live peacefully with others? Well, I think there's a couple of things we need to do when people wrong us in order to love our enemies. First, I think you need to recognize your pain. See, when we don't treat our pain, when we ignore the pain, when we say that the wrongdoing they did wasn't that wrong at all, we just create places for wounds to fester and get infected. We create places to allow it to continue to grow as a hurt and a pain inside of us. Anybody ever gotten a cut of any kind that needed some kind of treatment, like Neosporin or something else? No big deal, but something? No, none of you? Oh, okay. Rhetorical, right? When we get physically hurt, if we don't get treated, we can get all kinds of infections. And sometimes the treatment sucks. Like sometimes the treatment's worse than the actual injury. Uh, years ago when I was in high school, I cut my nose right here in wood shop. Don't ask how. Um, and I had to get seven stitches, one on the inside of my nose because there was a hole there. And you know what was worse than actually getting hurt? The shot they gave me to numb it. Like that was way worse. The needle was at least three feet long. It was terrible, all right? Sometimes to treat the wound, it hurts. But when we don't recognize our pain, when we try to dismiss it or bottle it up or say that didn't happen or I'll be okay or I can suck it up or I'll man up and we make all these other excuses, 
We just create a place for that wound to grow more and more. If you want to love your enemies, start by recognizing that you're hurt. Saying, Jesus, I need you to come into this place that hurts. Bring healing. I need you to show me what to do to make this right in me. How to forgive when I don't want to forgive. How to love when there's nothing in me that knows how to love. Come and heal this hurt. Recognize the pain that you're in. Next, you need to see how much you're loved. See, if you're hurting by yourself and you have enemies who've come against you, you need to know that there's a safe place you can run where you will not be attacked. You you need to know there's a safe place where you can run and in all of your hurt and all of your brokenness, somebody will be there to care for you. If you've been hurt by people who've come against you, they gave you the wrong sandwich, they said mean things, they treated you like dirt. Look, rather than dwell on the fact that they're your enemy, dwell on the one who's for you. The reality that you have a God who would give his son unto death, that you could be with him, that while you were an enemy, he said, I still love you with everything in me. I want to make this right. The more we dwell on those who love us, specifically God who loves us, the more we can begin to say, how can I love this person who's hurt me? How can I begin to love them? It goes on in Romans to tell us, how do we love those enemies who have hurt us? It says, to the contrary. Actually, in verse 19, Behold, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. See, if we want to begin to love our enemies as we recognize our hurt and we begin to see how much we're loved, see the God who loves you. He is the judge of the universe. He will one day make everything right. And oftentimes when we think about the judge, we think about all the ways he's going to condemn us. But you know, judges can be really good too. When somebody's wronged you, a judge can declare, I'm going to make it right. And this is the verdict on your behalf. When you've been hurt by somebody, if somebody took advantage of you, they used you and abused you in a way they shouldn't have, you have a judge who hates that, who will make it right. Always. Leave vengeance for him because he can do it way better than you and I ever could. But then it goes on. It says this, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So when you begin to recognize the pain that you're in and you begin to see the God who loves you, who is a judge, who will make everything right, and you begin to look at how he is able to give vengeance, it begins to strengthen you little by little to serve those who don't deserve it. He says, look, feed them when they're hungry. Give them something to drink when they're thirsty. In doing so, you're going to heap burning coals upon their head. Sounds super nice, right? <laughs> look, when you begin to love people who are coming against you, to serve them when they least deserve it, to put them first and to seek to outdo them in showing honor. And when it's all genuine, they're going to know something's not okay. 
heaping burning coals upon their head is not necessarily God's wrath and condemnation, but this weight upon them that says, I know what I did was wrong. Even if they're not willing to admit it. It's really, really hard to continue to be a jerk to somebody who's always giving you the best. It's really hard. Some people can succeed, but it's very difficult. It says, look, just continue to serve them. When we recognize our pain, when we see who loves us, the judge of the universe, we can begin to lay down all of our need for vengeance. So let me just serve instead and God will take care of it. Let me give what I don't have to give. God will make it right. And then finally, what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 5, if you want to love your enemies, pray for them. My wife and I, right away at the start of our marriage, we started a habit. Let's always pray before bed. Anybody ever gotten in a fight right before bed? If not, you're probably not married, all right? My wife and I learned that for some reason, anytime we start a conversation while brushing our teeth, it always goes poorly. Like, if I start a conversation in the bathroom, it's going to end in a fight. So I can just simply, like, step outside of the bathroom and say the same exact thing, and for some reason, we don't fight. I don't know why. It's a weird mystery. Have you ever tried to pray for somebody you're in the middle of a fight with? It really quickly shows you just how much you're wrong. So by praying for one another before bed at night, when we take that time to pray, there are numerous times where I start praying about the things she did wrong. And then I realize it was actually really all on me. And I was the one who was wrong. And I'm the one who needs to seek forgiveness and make it right. When we pray for our enemies, it's really hard to hate them. As I was wrestling with this hatred and this pain for Steve, saying, God, I don't want to hate him, but I genuinely desire literal burning coals upon his head. I don't want to hate him, but there's nothing in me that wants good. As I wrestled with this, and I realized that if I want grace for myself, I have to believe in grace for him. I thought about the image of standing one day before God, the judge of the universe, right beside him, and not hating him at all. And not remembering the hurt and the pain he caused. But I, I thought about standing there beside him and looking to Jesus, the, the founder of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, the one who loves perfectly. And being able to perfectly love him. I thought truly how sweet the sound that one day I could actually, truly and deeply love my enemies. That's the kind of God I believe in, the kind of God I hope for, and the kind of God that I have to daily come before and say, I cannot do this, but you can. Help me today to love my enemies. And imagine if we left this place with this as our goal. God, let me pray for those who persecute me, for those who I can't stand. Let me serve those who only bring harm and pain. Imagine how much different the people of this world would think of the church if that's who we were, if that's how we loved, if that's how we lived. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you have called us to love as you love. You have called us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. God, we admit that it hurts 
When people come against us, we want vengeance. We want to make it right. But God, you will. Help us to look to your cross where you suffered and died while we were enemies. Help us to see just how much we're loved by the God who is for us and not against us. That you are the one able to make all things right. God, I pray for every one of us that your grace would be sufficient. Not only for us, but even for our enemies. That you would begin to heal that, those wounds. And create in us a genuine love for those who've hurt us that we would wish your blessings and not your curses, that we would wish your goodness and not your wrath. And God, may we be a people who go from this place not looking for enemies or creating enemies, but seeking those whom we can love, especially when it hurts. Thank you, God, for your love, for this time together this morning. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue our worship today, we are going to collect an offering. If you came prepared to give today, you can give in the popcorn buckets with those envelopes uh, or cash or check. You can give online at thepointknox.com. Uh, we give in this place not because God requires it, uh, not because it makes us a better person, not because he loves us more because of it. We give because we say, God, we believe in the things you're doing and we want to be a part of it. We want to join you in loving even our enemies and we want to do that through this place. If you came prepared to give and you give today, thank you. And if you're not yet ready to give, let us tell you more of what God is doing in and through us. Uh, and not only that, what he wants to do in and through you. However you give, remember, it's not to get his love, but because you already have it. Thank you. So every week we invite questions. Uh, pardon us while the movie theater is getting ready to start. You know, the music behind us. I don't know if you can hear it, but it's all I can hear right now. So... Um, Every week we invite questions. We believe questions are a helpful part of faith. And this, these two questions actually came in yesterday. You can text this number anytime and we'll get those questions in the future. But the first one is, I don't know what to make of Mark chapter 4 in which Jesus tells the disciples that he speaks in parables so that outsiders do not understand and repent and be forgiven. Jesus says something pretty uncomfortable. He says, yeah, I'm intentionally speaking in such a way that those people won't know. Uh, I don't want them to know what I'm saying. Now, the reason for that is, uh, prior to his death, he was making a way that all people, not just Jewish people, but all people would be brought in to salvation. So it's not that he wants them to not know for all times, but that he wants them to not know so that they would reject him and lead him to his death so that he could then restore and redeem all of us. So it wasn't, I always want them to be outside just for now. I'm speaking in such a way that they don't understand. Also, uh, if scholars uncovered 3 Corinthians or 3 Corinthians today, should it be added to the biblical canon? Uh, in Paul's writings of 1 and 2 Corinthians, um, he references his former letter, which we have no evidence of. He references a letter that we clearly don't see. So a lot of people believe he wrote other letters to the church, um, not just to the church in Corinth, but to lots of churches. Would it be included in the, in the Bible today? No. Uh, Paul wrote all the time, and so did these other guys. They were regularly writing to the church, and so there's, there's more than just they didn't have it. That, that's why it wasn't there. Why does God allow such hurt in my life? I don't know, but I know you should not and cannot go through that hurt alone. 
I'm really sorry for all that's happened to you and all that you're walking through, but know this, that we love you. And we can't take away your pain, but we can be here for you to lean on in the midst of it. We can be here to say you are loved even in spite of this. Um, So if this is you, please come talk to us. I'm sorry. And we love you. And then finally, as you guys probably imagined, how did you cut your nose in wood shop? (laughs) Well, if you've ever worked with a wood lathe, if you don't secure it uh, properly, it starts spinning at 3,000 rotations per minute. And if it's not secured properly, it will come loose. And the parts that are not yet rounded are still sharp corners and might hit you in the face. So always wear safety goggles. All right? There you go. Uh, before we go then, before the benediction, uh, something really fun to share. Well, really great. I don't know if fun's the right word. Uh, something to share with you in case you don't know yet. Next Sunday at 9 o'clock, we're doing our regular Discover, but a couple minutes early. And it's going to be pretty different than the normal one. Uh, next Sunday, the Community Coalition Against Human Trafficking will be here, specifically Natalie Ivey, their executive director, and Katie Little, um, somebody else on their staff and their leadership. And they're going to share what is human trafficking. Not only what is human trafficking, how can you and I play a part in making a difference? Um, So join us next Sunday at 9 o'clock in the theater right next door. That's where we're going to be. It's going to be a really great eye-opening time to this problem that exists around us and how we can make a difference. And then afterwards, both Katie and Natalie will be a part of my message and a part of this time for them to share not just what is human trafficking, But what are we as a church doing about it? How do we get to be a part of it? Uh, Not a part of trafficking, a part of ending (laughs) trafficking. Yeah, good clarifier because uh, what you guys don't know is I also get texts from people on a regular basis that remind me of all the ways I misspoke. So I love even you guys, all right? Just FYI. Uh, Church, receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. May he strengthen you to love even those who do not love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.